0: In uncertainty, one truth stands, God exists and is present in your life. As you trust Him, anxieties fade. God is guiding you, He has led you to this place, and He will lead you on. The Bible teaches that those who follow Christ shall live by faith. Join us in this series to unlock the power of trust. Embrace the benefits of trusting God and watch your faith grow. Your journey into trust begins. Friends, it's so good to be with you today. My name is Juan Carlos Redia, and I have the honor of serving on staff here at Sugar Creek. And on behalf of our lead pastor, Dr. Mark Hartman, I want to thank you for being here today at the Sugarland campus, at the Missouri City campus, at the Richmond Rosenberg campus, or if you're joining us online. Welcome to Sugar Creek. So, for the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring this idea of why faith is key in order to have a deep relationship with God. And in the first part of this series, Pastor Mark, he explained why this is so important in our lives. He actually talked about why we need to develop not blind faith, but a vibrant faith that is based in truth. He also contrasted why we need um, to believe in creationism and made a good case, a strong case for creationism versus evolution and making the case that this makes more sense to believe in creationism even from a scientific viewpoint. Last week, he walked us through the primary passage in all of Scripture that talks about faith, Hebrews chapter 11, and he explained what true faith is really all about. Now, both of these messages are worth watching and rewatching on any of our platforms. Today, what I want us to do as we start off our time together and we continue to explore this idea of faith is that I want us to uncover. A simple yet profound principle that we all tend to forget, and it's this. We are the result of the habits we've formed. We are the result of the habits we've formed. There's a saying that we are creatures of habit, and it's true. In fact, the brilliant Greek philosopher Aristotle, who wrote a lot about habits, he makes this keen observation. He wrote on in one occasion that we are the sum of our actions and therefore our habits make all the difference. The reality is that we are all being shaped by our habits, good or bad. And this is something that we all experience. So let me show it to you. Think for a minute about all the habits that you've carried out just today. You got up, You got dressed, you had something to eat, you brushed your teeth, or at least I hope you brushed your teeth. You, You maneuvered between different rooms in your home, you got into a vehicle, drove the vehicle, or rode in a vehicle. You got here, walked out, stepped into this auditorium, and you sat down. You did all of these simple yet complex tasks without any conscious awareness, without even thinking about it twice. Why? Because you've done these things so many times, have repeated it on so many occasions that now they've become habits that you don't even think about. And so habits have a tremendous influence in the way that we act. So let me ask this. How many habits do you carry out on a weekly basis? how many habits do you carry out on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis and here's an even more profound question that we need to ponder how does the accumulation of all of these habits affect our lives the reality is that we would be surprised we'd be amazed if we paid attention most of us underestimate the tremendous impact that habits Have in our lives, the massive influence that they wield in our lives. We're all being molded by habits, and we need to pay attention to them. In fact, that's the premise behind James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. In this best-selling book, he makes the case that we need to Uh, pay attention to the habits in our life. And he defines a habit this way. He says, a habit is a behavior that has been repeated enough times to become automatic. And he says that if we truly want to see change in our lives, we have to choose to replace bad habits with good habits. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, Juan Carlos, interesting, right? Interesting stuff. But I thought you were going to talk about Faith, not habits. In fact, this is a series about faith, right? And to that I would answer good observation, imaginary voice in my head, and conveniently timed for me to set up this next premise. There is a deep connection between faith and habits. In fact, most people miss the fact that faith is not simply a religious concept that is limited to our relationship with God? What if I told you that faith is much more than a belief? That in fact, faith in itself is a habit. So one thing that we need to understand, a principle that's so important for us is this, that faith is a habit that we choose to develop. Faith is a habit that we choose to develop. See, Faith is just as natural or ingrained as any of the other daily behaviors and daily practices that we carry out. Maybe some of you have never actually seen that connection. You've never thought of faith in in this way. You've never thought of faith as a habit that needs to be developed, that needs to be cultivated, just like any other area of our life. And that is the reason why so many people find themselves floundering when they encounter a crisis or a tragedy. Because the only thing that they hold in their hands is a weak and feeble faith. But faith is something that we need to choose to develop. And until we see it that way, the problem is that we will always be struggling with our faith. In fact, some people, because of this, have chosen to abandon their faith, abandon Christianity altogether. Others, well, they simply think that uh, this idea of faith is something that's reserved only for a few select people that are born with strong faith. But the good news for all of us is this. It doesn't have to be this way. In fact, God sets before us a pathway so that you and I, we can not only have faith, but we can actually have extraordinary faith. And here is the key for that. Extraordinary faith is the result of consistently trusting God in ordinary choices. Extraordinary faith is the result of consistently trusting God in ordinary choices. See, the key to any habit is consistency. And what happens with faith, just like with habits, It's a number of actions that add up over time and affect who we become. Same thing happens with faith. And so when we do this, when we consistently choose, intentionally choose to trust God in the small things when we are in a better position to face the big things. Because it'll be impossible for you and for me to be able to Have victory over the giant challenges in our life if we are not consistently choosing to trust God in the small challenges that we face on a daily basis. Now, there is a story in the Bible that actually illustrates this truth. It's a very well known story, and that's the problem with the story. That most of us have heard it so many times, we're so familiar with it because we've heard it since childhood that we've actually distorted the meaning of the story. And it's the story of David and Goliath. See, most people, when they think of David and Goliath, they've actually diluted the story into saying something different. It it becomes this metaphor of a weak individual or a weak group of people that rise up and they're able to overcome this much more powerful opponent. And in doing so, they obtain great victory. And so when we read that story or we think of that story, that's kind of our call. We're motivated to go and face the giants in our life. It doesn't matter what size they are, right? Where's Yao Ming so I can face him? And, and we start thinking along the, you know, the, that way of thinking. But here's the problem. That was never the intention of that story. That is not what's behind it. God didn't give us that story so we would be motivated to go out and face the giants in our life. The reality is that many times... You and I, we face things that, humanly speaking, we don't have the power to overcome, that we feel weak because it's a much greater opponent that we can face up to. So, the reality is that this story is about something more, something way more. And if we understand how it's connected to the habit of faith, to the faith habit, it's going to make a huge difference in our journey. With God. So imagine for a moment living back in ancient Israel during the time of David. Back then, the Philistine army was this formidable force. They were professional warriors, professional soldiers that were trained in warfare, battle hardened. And not only that, but they possessed the latest armor and weaponry made of bronze. And this itself gave them a huge advantage over the Israelites. See, the nation of Israel, on the other hand, they were made up of a volunteer army. These soldiers, well, they worked in everyday life as farmers and potters and blacksmiths and other trades. They didn't have any uh, training in warfare or as soldiers, and much less did they possess this incredible armor or weaponry. So they were always at a disadvantage against the Philistines. This is the reason why they feared fighting them all the time. And it's also the reason why they demanded a king, because they wanted someone to lead them against a much more powerful Philistine army so that finally they would have a victory. So one day, the Philistines, they set up camp on the southern slopes of the Valley of Elah. And in response, the nation of Israel... They gathered on the northern slopes of the Valley of Elah. And as they were about to face off, right between these two armies stood a giant of a man, literally. And it wasn't only because of his incredible stature. It was the fact that he embodied the strength of the Philistine army and reminded them of why they needed to feel so intimidated by the Philistines. Listen to the way that the Bible describes this incredible warrior. It says in 1 Samuel 17, four through seven. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. Get this, he was nine feet, nine inches tall, and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. In, in fact, this guy was so strong that he could carry 125 pounds while he fought other people. And then it says, There was a bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. In other words, another guy had to carry his shield, something that he was able to carry with one hand. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? He didn't see them as servants of God. He saw them as servants of Saul. Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, well, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. And the author of 1 Samuel makes this comment in regards to the response from the Israelites. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. I mean, who could blame them? Here they were facing a guy that was nine feet, nine inches tall. I mean, I wouldn't challenge this guy to hoop one-on-one, much less would I want to fight against him. That's the same thing, that all of these soldiers were thinking. As they saw this incredible soldier and the fact that he wasn't only so big, but he had all this experience in warfare and all this armor, they thought when they saw him, there's no way, Jose, that we are beating this guy. So none of them thought that they were gonna be brave enough or maybe dumb enough to go out and face this giant. So as they saw this hulk of a man go out and taunt them every day they were fearful they were terrified they were intimidated just so we can get kind of a perspective of what they felt let's compare goliath to someone more recent for us and that is andre the giant so some of you might know andre the giant he was this legendary french wrestler and actor When he wrestled, during his wrestling career, he weighed between 520 and 600 pounds. As you can see in the picture, he was so massive that a normal-sized can almost disappeared in his hand. Because of his great stature, he was able to perform incredible feats of strength. There's one video of him actually lifting a 2,000-pound weight. And in a documentary that they made about his life, he's able to fling a couple of 200-plus-pound wrestlers over his shoulders like if they were babies. And here's the thing. Andre the Giant was still over two feet shorter than Goliath. Can you imagine what it would have been then to face Goliath and what he was capable of doing? See, it's no wonder that they were so intimidated by this incredible man and no one was willing to go out and fight him. But that's where David enters the picture. Now, David wasn't a soldier. He was just barely a teenager, a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of all of his brothers. He was there because his father, Jesse, had sent him to take provisions to the Israelite army and also to check on his older brothers who were part of the Israelite army. David didn't have any military training, he didn't have experience in warfare, and he didn't have any armor. But what he lacked in all of these things, he had an unwavering faith and trust in the God of Israel. See, David had developed the habit of faith throughout his life. And as he tended to the sheep he started to grow in his trust in God and God started to display incredible things in his life. And as a result, it changed the way that, God, that David viewed God and, view the, and would view situations. In fact, this is the principle that we need to learn about David. That the habit of faith changes our perspective about the power of God. The habit of faith changes our perspective about the power of God. See, of all of the people on that battlefield, only David was capable of seeing from God's perspective. Everyone else, they were looking at the situation. They were looking at the problem. They were looking at Goliath, this giant of a man, and they were scared because of that. In fact, think about it from their perspective. I mean, it made no sense that a shepherd boy would face off against this giant, this experienced, seasoned warrior. I mean, this... David would have no prayer against this guy. So even if they would have had a fight announcement back then, it would have sounded a little ridiculous. It would have been something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. In this corner, standing at nine feet, nine inches tall, weighing over 700 pounds, the giant from Gath, the Philistine phenom, the terrific titan, the legend, the one and only undisputed and undefeated champion of the world, Goliath from Gath. And in this corner, standing at five feet, five inches tall, weighing 120 pounds, soaking wet, the lamb herder, the um, food courier, the rock hurler himself, David from Bethlehem. Now, let's get ready to rumble. I mean, who who in their right mind on the Israelite side would have said, yeah, put me down for 200 shekels on David. I mean, no one was thinking that, right? Because the odds were completely against him. But here's the thing, David had a different perspective about what was going on. He didn't see an invincible warrior. He saw an opportunity for even greater God to show his strength. And so David, instead of viewing the situation from the perspective of the people around him, he saw it from the perspective of God. And the lens that he used was the lens of faith, not fear. And so as David is willing to go out and face this giant, there's even voices around him that are trying to drown out that trust that he has in God. He hears the voices of fear and doubt and even criticism from his own brother and all of it trying to drown out the faith that he had in God. But we need to understand that in the end, we can trust God. So, David goes and he speaks to some of the men there as he saw this giant come out as he customarily had done so. And it says in verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. And he he asked this, What will be done for the man who kills a Philistine? And look at his opinion about this guy. And removes this disgrace from Israel. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David had the right perspective. He understood that Goliath was a worshiper of false idols. He wasn't part of the covenant people of God. How dare him come and defy the only true and living God? It made no sense. That's why David understood that this wasn't a fight between him and Goliath. Because if that would have been the case... A fight between David and Goliath, Goliath prevails 100% of the times. But in a fight between God and Goliath, God prevails 100% of the times. So David came to understand this truth. There's another thing that we need to understand, another principle that we need to see from what David models to us, and it's this the habit of faith is built on God's faithfulness to keep his promises. The habit of faith is built on God's faithfulness to keep his promises. See, that's where we make a mistake. We actually try to claim promises in the Bible that were never intended for us. And then, as, as a result, we are waiting for God to act upon our desires, to do our bidding, And then when God doesn't do what we want him to do, we're disappointed with him, right? We we think that he's failed us, but that is not faith. That's wishful thinking. See, faith is actually based on God's faithfulness to actually do what he's promised to do. And David, actually, he was able to experience this firsthand. So he shows it, and through this, this part of the Bible that we're, that we're gonna read because as he volunteers to go out and face Goliath, now he goes and he talks to King Saul. And King Saul is trying to dissuade him, saying, hey, David, you're crazy. How are you gonna go out and face this incredible giant? And he and tries to tell him all the reasons why he shouldn't do it. And David's response actually shows how much he trusted in God's faithfulness to keep his promises. Listen to what, what he says in verse 34 and 37. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied not me, but the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. See, what's what's incredible about one of the greatest speeches in all of history that David has has just said here is that in the ancient Hebrew, the same word for paw is the same word for hand. In fact, David saw that same situation. In facing bears and lions that he now he saw with the Philistine. And, and what's always been amazing to me is how people gloss over, overlook what David has just said. And, and we don't see how incredible that is. In fact, let me, let me kind of show it to you a, a different way. Let me ask you, how many of you that are here have ever killed multiple lions and bears and without a gun? Show of hands. Anyone here? Anyone here? I want to meet you. Yeah? No? Okay. Well, how about have you ever killed at least one lion and one bear without a gun? Anyone here? Anyone? No. Do you know of anyone? Wow, well, we sure are wimps, right? Um, but here is David who's doing something that's impossible for a teenager to accomplish. And the only reason why he was able to do this incredible feat is because he had trusted God that he would be faithful in keeping his promises and keeping his words. Now we know about David that many of the Psalms that he wrote, incredible Hebrew poetry, he would meditate about God and the word of God. And in the Psalms, he talks about meditating in the law of God day and night. It can, and can you imagine as he's tending to the flock of his father. He's thinking about the promises in the law of Moses, the first five books in in the Bible, and he comes across an incredible promise that God has given the nation of Israel. Look at what it says in Leviticus 26, 3 through 8. This is God promising to the nation of Israel the following. It says, If you follow my statutes... And faithfully observe my commands, I will give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until sowing time, and you will have plenty of food to eat and live securely in your land. Maybe that's the reason why it hasn't rained here in Houston. We haven't been very faithful or obeyed the Lord. But God is saying here, As long as you trust me and obey me, I will be your provider. But then the promise continues. Listen to what it says in verse six. I will give peace to the land and you will lie down with nothing to frighten you. And listen to this. I will remove dangerous animals from the land, including lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. No, it's actually just lions and and bears. Call call out to Wizard of Oz. And, uh, and, And then he says... And no sword will pass through your land. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. And and listen to this. Five of you will pursue a hundred and a hundred of you will pursue 10,000. Your enemies will fall before you by the sword. See, God promised that he would take care of his people not only as a provider, but as a protector as long as they trusted in him and obeyed him. And it didn't matter what they faced. It didn't matter the odds, if it was lions, bears, or giants. He was faithful enough to keep his promise. And the only person that understood this and based his life on this was David. So, David then volunteers to go out and face Goliath. And he walks onto the battlefield, and Goliath thinks it's a joke, right? Why do you send a a shepherd boy, a teenager, to fight him? He was expecting a much greater warrior, someone that could at least last a little bit in battle. But here is David, and David is no match for this guy. He doesn't have a prayer against Goliath. So Goliath starts mocking him and cursing him out. And David's answer is something incredible, probably the greatest speech in all of history. He says this now in verse 45 through 47. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. This is what gives you victory in the the world's eyes. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied not me, you've defied him, Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then, all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly, all of these scaredy cats around here, will know that it's not by sword, by spear, or by spear, or by a slingshot that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. What an incredible speech. Love this speech. And David, he goes out trusting that God is going to be faithful as to what he promised. See, most of us think that the reason why David was able to bring down Goliath was because of his ability with a slingshot, or the element of surprise that he had, or his cunning to outwit Goliath. But it wasn't about that. It was about God doing it through David. This was a battle between not David and Goliath. It was a battle between God and Goliath. David, the only thing he did was trust that God was gonna give him the victory. And that's why he could go out with boldness he, w- he was someone that didn't have any fear because he completely trusted in the God of Israel that he was going to be faithful to his promise. And as we know, the story then goes that David launches that stone guided by the hand of God and takes down Goliath. And David finishes him off with a sword. David thought that he would need five stones but God only needed one to bring down this giant. David models for us what we need to do with the things that we face in life. Maybe you're here and you're, you're sitting and you're, you're saying, Juan well, Carlos, man, this sounds great, happy for David, but what about me? What about the stuff that I'm facing in my life? you know, giants that I feel like are facing me down. I don't, I don't know what to do in these situations. I don't know how to, how to face this giant or even how to trust God in the midst of all that I am going through at this very moment. And my answer to you is the same that David understood for his life. What he did is a model for us to follow as well when giants come and attack us. And this is the answer. Develop your faith, develop that faith habit by obeying God one decision at a time and trusting him one day at a time. See, faith is a habit that we need to build and we do it obeying God one decision at a time and we do it trusting him one day at a time. And when we do this, we're gonna see that God is faithful to be able to respond and to do things that go beyond our understanding. See, it's not about the size of your problem. It's about the size of your God that loves you and is with you. This reminds me of another teenager, a teenager who's called Jacob Smith, 15-year-old. He is a freestyle skier. But what's incredible about Jacob Smith is that he is legally blind. In fact, he has four times the level of legal blindness. And just to kind of understand how much that is, uh, so if you think about the eye chart, you have that, that giant E at the top. That would have to be blown up four times in order for Jacob to be able to read that at 20 feet. So the question is, how is he able to ski? How can he do all these tricks and maneuver and avoid all these obstacles? The key is his father, Nathan. See, he has a two-way radio with his dad. And it's his father that is guiding him and telling him what to do as he's coming down and skiing. In fact, they asked Jacob how much he trusts his father. And his answer was, enough to take a right turn when he tells me to. Well, the same thing. The same story of Jacob is the story of David and is your story and my story. We can trust in God that he is gonna be faithful even to face the giants in our life. And let's just say that God is not finished defeating the giants. And if you and I are willing to trust him and understand his faithfulness and the promises and build our trust in him, there is no telling what God can do through your life and my life. Some of you that are here you need to make a decision to begin this faith journey by trusting in the greatest giant slayer of all time, who is Jesus Christ. Through his sacrifice and his resurrection, he slayed the giant of death. And he tells us that if we trust him, we put our faith in him for forgiveness of our sins and for new life, he will not only do that, but he will guide us even against the giant's of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you because it was not in the power of David that he took down Goliath. It was in your power that you did and chose David as your instrument. In the same way, you desire to do the same thing in our lives. And wherever we're at, whatever situation we're facing, as big as it might seem, allow us to develop our faith habit, one decision at a time, and one day at a time, being obedient and fully trusting in you. We love you, and we thank you for your incredible faithfulness. And all of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.